Well, good morning, familia. Uh, it's honestly so good to be together. Uh, they keep telling me that at some point the air conditioning is going to work in our actual sanctuary. They just don't tell me when. So let's just say we're going to be here definitely. How about that? How about that? I already tried it. Yeah, I'm going to text you in the face. But I'm just so glad that we're together this morning because I want to celebrate something with you that's just so cool because our church is making history. Okay, so I just want to share with you how we're making history. Now, it might not be world history, it might not even be Oklahoma history, maybe it is. But uh, I think it might be I think it might be Tulsa history or just our church's history. But last Wednesday we had a dinner with the pastor here on our campus. And it's just incredible because it was the very first dinner with the pastor right here with us. And what's amazing is that this entire dinner with the pastor was bilingual. Meaning we had English speakers and Spanish speakers in the same room. And that has never happened before in our church. And it's just incredible. So I think we can celebrate that. Is that okay? And I love how we are just a bilingual family faith. That's who we are. And there's these moments where together uh, we have to either be in the same room speaking two languages, or there's moments where we're in two separate rooms speaking two separate languages. But it's just so fun because we have uh, Chris Wall and Brad Ayers, some of our other pastors there. They're talking in English, and I'm, I'm translating Spanish. And so uh, this morning we're actually going to do something very similar. So I'm going to share the sermon time with uh, Chad Baltrow, and I'm going to do the English part, and he's going to do the Spanish part. Is that good? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we are going to share the sermon time uh, together, and so I'm going to be going about 15 minutes, and he's going to come after me, and I'm grateful that we get to tag team this together this morning. Um, we are continuing in our sermon series called Re-Envision, and I'm so grateful for this series because in every generation, Man, we are on this mission, on the mission of God. But if you think about it, all of us go through these different seasons of life, and so in every single season, we have to kind of stop and think and say, okay, Lord, how do I have to re-envision how I approach the mission? How do I have to re-envision how I apply the vision that you have given us and the mission that you have told us to be on? And so I'm just so grateful for this sermon series because I think it's been beneficial in my own life. And so this morning we're going to be in Ezra chapter 8. So go ahead and check there, Ezra chapter 8. And as you get there to Ezra chapter 8, I just want to remind you of what we talked about last Sunday. Uh, last Sunday we were in Ezra chapter 7 and we focused on this life of Ezra. And uh, he was a man who devoted himself to, the, to knowing God and knowing him fully to living out the word of God and also teaching the word of God. That was a man and who this man was in Ezra. And what's incredible is that we saw an example of how uh, God blesses obedience and how Ezra was blessed because he was obedient to the Lord. And you have to remember, it's not an obedience that we usually think of. It's not obedience of riches. It's not the obedience or the blessing, sorry. The blessing of riches, the blessing of power, the blessing of all these things that we want. That's not exactly the blessing that we're talking about. Because we're not talking about some human-sized blessing. We're talking about a God-sized blessing. So it's not all these physical things, but we see that Ezra was blessed with wisdom, and he was blessed with favor because the hand of God was on him. And so that's kind of what we saw last time. What we're going to see in chapter 8, now that you're there with me, we're going to see that Ezra was preparing these people to go to Jerusalem, and he was also accomplishing that. And he had prepared them and accomplished going to Jerusalem after being in Babylon. And so the main idea for us this morning is this. I want you to write this down. 
is that God realigns his people. God realigns his people. That's what we see in Ezra chapter 8. And so we've been talking about this, um, this whole re-envision and even realign. And so the reason that I can say that God realigns his people is because we see that Israel was actually misaligned. They weren't aligned together. And I actually want to show you just some pictures because we've been talking about Israel was here and they were here and they came back here. So I want to give you some visuals and then talk about why I say that God realigns his people. So I want to show you this first picture. And this is just a big overview picture, just a big picture to see kind of where we're at. And so if you look at this, okay, I think it is, yeah. So if you look at this, this little this little boot, okay, so this right here is kind of the um, the area of Iraq is right here, and then you have Israel, modern-day Israel right here, you have Egypt. So Jerusalem is right here, and then you have Babylon right over here. So this is kind of like the big picture of where we are at. And so we go to the next picture, it gives us a little bit more detail of kind of what was going on. So here, this allows us to see that there's actually a desert right here. So you couldn't just go from Jerusalem, or yeah, from Babylon to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem to Babylon. There's this desert all in this area, so they had to go around. So this is what we see Israel going, they were here, they disobeyed the Lord, so then they were here, and then the Lord delivered them until they had come all the way back. And so I want to show you the next picture of just kind of what's going on, this is kind of important. So again, you have Jerusalem kind of this little corner here, you can see it with me. Sorry to my people over here, I didn't mean I was having to block you, you can't see it with me. And then Babylon's way over here, but I want you to see over here at Babylon, this little transy-phrase river. And that river right there is the river where Ezra gathered the people in chapter 8. That right there is the river where they kind of came together, they congregated, set everything up to take their journey on to Jerusalem. So I just wanted you guys to have that picture in your mind as we talk in Ezra chapter 8. And so as we look at Ezra chapter 8, verses 1 to 14, you're going to see this genealogy. And this is actually where we get our very first point from. So the very first point that we have is God's wisdom in a genealogy. God's wisdom in a genealogy. So I want you to just scan that genealogy with me. Just glance at it, look at it, and just say, wow, that's a lot of names. But whenever we read the Bible, genealogies are more important than we think, or more important than we like to think. Because if you think about it, it just shows us so much of, of who Israel was and, and what who they were, what they were going from, and it's just so important because these genealogies prove so much to the people back then, but also to us. If you think back at some, uh, the week, uh, some of the weeks before, we talked about how the, uh, the first wave of people that went from Babylon to Jerusalem, we talked about that first wave that went, and what's so interesting is that there were Levites who couldn't prove that they were descendants from Levi, they couldn't prove this descendants, they couldn't prove their genealogy, and so they couldn't serve in the temple. And these Levites were people who were meant to uh, be workers in the temple, and they, because they couldn't prove that they're descendants from Levi, they couldn't work. And so these genealogies are so important. I mean, think about even Matthew chapter 1. The book of Matthew starts with a genealogy to prove that Jesus was from the line of David, that, that Jesus was this promised Messiah. And these genealogies, there's just the wisdom of God, because back in the day, they, they proved us like identification or even as these receipts from the people. And so they have this historical meaning, and they have this meaning that's super significant. And what's so incredible is that even the names have this significance. And so I'm going to point to you to these names that we see. And I want you to look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this, And of the descendants 
Shef or yeah, Shef Zebediah, and son of Michael, and with him eighty men. So you read that and you're like, okay, that's cool. Who are these three guys and eighty men? But here's what these names mean. Okay, Shephatiah means Yahweh has judged. God has judged. Zebediah means Yahweh has given. God has given. Michael means who is like God. So even in these three names, I want you to piece this together because that's the story of Israel this moment. Israel disobeyed the Lord, so what did the Lord do? God judged, which is that first name. And then they're in this moment where now they're, they're in Babylon and they're just crying out to the Lord. And what does the Lord do? The Lord gives. God has given. What did he give? Prophets. His hand was on them and then he gave them a way out. He gave them a second chance. So the God, God has judged and God has given. And you see Michael, which means who is like God. So just imagine at the very end of chapter 8 where they're celebrating, they're all unified together and they're proclaiming, man, who is like God? This is amazing. There's this whole um, just picture of, of Israel's situation right here. So right here we see this God's wisdom in the genealogy. Here's the second thing I want us to see. is God's wisdom in a strategy. So not just God's wisdom in the genealogy, but God's wisdom in a strategy. We see this in verses 15 to 20. And I want to read this for us. Verse 15 says, I assembled then at the canal that flows toward Ahabah. And I camped there three days. When I checked among the people and the priests, I found no Levites there. So I summoned Eleazar, Ariel, Shemaiah, El Nathan, Jerib, El Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshimon, who were leaders in Jorib, and El Nathan, who were men of learning. And I ordered them to go to you, the leader, and testify. I told them what to say to you and his fellow Levites, the temple servants in Kesaphat, so that they might bring attendance to us for the house of God, because the gracious hand of our God was on us. They brought out Sherebiah, a capable man, from the descendants of Mali, son of Levi, the son of the son of Israel, and Sherebiah's son and brothers, eighteen in all, and Heshebiah, together with Jesiah. From the descendants of Medi, and his brothers and nephews, twenty all, they also brought two hundred and twenty temple servants, a body that David the officials had established to assist the Levites, all registered by name. And it's so unfortunate that they were all registered by name because these names are so incredibly interesting. But I love it because here we see God's blessing in a strategy. You see, preparation time is not wasted. Preparation time is not lost time. So you see this moment where, like, you, you have Ezra who just wants to go to Jerusalem and wants to go, but what he does is he takes a step back and says, okay, what do we got? Who do we got? What do we need? That's exactly what he says. He's like, okay, well, I'm seeing all these campers and we're preparing to go to Jerusalem. Oh, man, we don't have any Levites. Like, we, we need some Levites over here. So he sends for Levites. So it's this moment of the strategy of saying, okay, Lord, we need to take a step back and say, what do we need so we can move forward all together? And it's incredible because as Edward keeps on going, he keeps reminding us that it's God who's the hero. It's God the one that's moving. So the hand of the Lord was on me. So we see this God's wisdom in the genealogy. We see it in the strategy. But also I think we see God's wisdom in humility. God's wisdom in humility. Look at verse 21 it says there, by the, 
the Ahava Canal and proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask Him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayers. Here we see that Ezra, he proclaimed the fast and he humbled himself before the Lord. Here we see God's wisdom and humility, and we see a challenge from Ezra. Of saying before we embark on any journey, before we embark on any kind of project, let's take a moment. Let's take a moment to worship the Lord, to humble ourselves before Him. And so, Lord, what are you to have us do? Because we have to remember that the Lord is, is the leader. He is our leader. He's the builder of the church. And as a leader, He's not just an overseer. But the Lord, by His Holy Spirit, is participating with us. He's participating in what is happening. He's absolutely leading us through his spirit. And so we see that Ezra and his people are individuals who humble themselves, and there's this wisdom and humility, and this wisdom of humbling ourselves and saying, Lord, what do you have for us? And so we see this God's wisdom and genealogy, we see God's wisdom and strategy and humility, but I also want you to see that there's God, there's this wisdom and accountability. You see God's wisdom and accountability. So I want you to look at verse 24 with me. Verse 24 says this, Then I set apart twelve of the leading priests, namely, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their brothers, and I weighed out to them the offering of silver and gold and the articles that the king, his advisors, his officials, and all Israel present there, had donated for the house of our God. I weighed out to them 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold value at 1,000 dairies, and two fine articles of polished bronze, as precious as gold. I said to them, you, as well as these articles, are consecrated to the Lord. The silver and gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Guard them carefully as they weigh them out in the chambers of the house of God. In Jerusalem, before the leading priests and the Levites and the family heads of Israel, then the priests and the Levites received the silver and gold and the sacred articles that had been weighed out to be taken to the house of God in Jerusalem. So we read all of that. What do we see? We see God's wisdom and accountability. What's so interesting is that we have these priests and head of households there to see Ezra and to see all these other people count all the money and count, okay, this is what we have. So you see, these people are witnesses to all the donations, they're witnesses to all the deposits that we see, and they're present. And I just love it because they're just trying to be the best stewards that they can be. And what I want you to recognize is that they're not just being good stewards of this money, they're being good stewards of people. And the reason I say that is I want you to look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, I said to them, you, as well as these articles, are consecrated to the Lord. That right there, that statement saying that you and these things are to be holy and set apart for the Lord. You and all these things are meant to be set apart to be used by the Lord, to be used for the Lord. 
And I think that's us as well. We're to be people who are holy and set apart, used for the glory of God, for the benefit of others. What we have is meant to be used to glorify God and for the benefit of others. And so that verse right there just demonstrates to us that we are to be consecrated as the Lord. So the next thing that I want us to see in verses 31 to 36 is this. God's wisdom in unity. God's wisdom in unity. So we've seen God's wisdom in the genealogy, God's wisdom in the strategy, God's wisdom in humility, God's wisdom in accountability, and now we see God's wisdom in unity. So I'm going to read this for us starting in verse 31. It says this. On the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the Hala Canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us. He protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested for three days. On the fourth day, the house of our God, we weighed out the silver and gold and the sacred articles into the hands of Merimoth's son of Uriah the priest. Eleazar, son of Phineas, was with him. And so were the Levites, Josephat, son of Yeshua, and Noadai, son of Eden. Everything was accounted for by the number of weights, and the entire weight was recorded at that time. Then the exiles who had returned from captivity sacrificed burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all of Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven male lambs, and as a sin offering, twelve male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's orders to the royal satraps and to the governors of Trinity's who then gave that assistance to the people and to the house of God. This right here we just see is unity because I just want you to realize that two times we have 12 bulls for Israel and then we have 12 male goats. This is for all the tribes of Israel that we see. And so we see this moment where now they've arrived, they've arrived to Jerusalem, and they were all set apart. You kind of have like half of the people of Israel here, and half the people of Israel here, but now they're together in a unified voice, are humbling themselves and worshiping the Lord, and saying, man, Lord, you protected us. Lord, you guided us. Lord, you have brought us here in this moment for this time. And as returnees in a unified voice, we will worship and sacrifice these 12 or our dwelling. And I just, I love it because their first response, after they rested for three days, their first response was to worship the Lord. Their first response was saying, hey, let's get everyone together. Let's worship Him. And I think that for us, as we continue forward, before we do anything, during we do something, and even afterwards, we're to be a people saying, man, let's, let's worship the Lord. Let's give Him all the glory. Let's be a people who we consecrate ourselves to Him before any project, before anywhere, any, anywhere we go. And what I love about this entire story of, of Israel is just all the details in it. And that's why I thought it was so important for us to read together. I know sometimes as we read a lot of scripture in the church service, we can just tune out. But I want to set the example of how everything that the Lord has written His words behind how everything that the Lord has said through His Word is, is good for teaching and preaching and for all the things in our life, even in genealogy. You know what I mean? 
It's these moments where the Lord allows us, even in Ezra chapter 8, to say that He is the one that aligns His people. He is the one that aligns us to go the same direction, the same way because of His Spirit. And I'm grateful that we have the Holy Spirit because it is through the Holy Spirit that we can be unified in Christ and say, okay, where are we at and where are we going? And that's why I want to invite you to chat also about and just give us this moment to talk about exciting realignment. Aren't you grateful for me, Simon? very, very grateful for him, for Jonathan, for Jesus, and just for, just for each one of you. It's so great to get to be here today. It's been a while since I've gotten to be on this campus with you. I have some responsibilities in Owasso, and so first off, let me just say thank you. It's so good to see everyone. And I just feel like I should ask a question. How are you doing? Awesome. All right, all right. We've got one awesome and a couple of them. This is good. This is very, very good. Well, I am very thankful to get to be here today, and I'm excited about the future that our church has together. And that's what I want to talk about for the next few minutes. And and really, Ezra is a great springboard for us to use as a, as a passage of Scripture to consider as we think about what God is doing in the life of our church. Uh, first off, and this is just very important spiritual information, if you're about to have a baby, this passage is filled with great baby names. So we should probably record some of those as a possibility. But uh, 75 years ago, nearly 75 years ago, next year, 75 years this happened, but nearly 75 years ago, God started a church in Owasso. And just a few years, two years before that, God started a church in Tulsa. One was First Baptist Owasso, one was the Calvary Baptist Church in Tulsa. And about four years ago, those two churches came together. And it's amazing to see what God has done because for generations there have been prayers praying that God would let there be a lighthouse for His love, for His grace, for His faithfulness, just for His love and kindness in Owasso and in Tulsa. And now, that is a unified vision between two campuses. And what we've talked about, and we've said our vision several times, and we always say it like this, that, that, that we believe what God's called us to do, our desire, is to love all people to Christ and to equip them on their journey with God and with one another. And it's just amazing to see for 75, for 77 years, the way God has answered the prayers of a generation. It's, it's just a generation, that, those are prayers that just continue to be prayed over and over and over again. And I think what you talked about at the very beginning, what you celebrated at dinner with the pastor in multiple languages, was on this campus for the first time this last Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night, uh, for the first time, the new members class will take place on this campus. And again, it'll be bilingual, and it'll be awesome to see how all that comes together. And it's amazing to see the number of people who have been here for such a long time working and serving faithfully and praying such great prayers about the gospel and about this community. And at the same time, it's amazing to see the new people who are here who really represent the answers to those prayers. And there are new prayers to be prayed, and there are, there are, there's a continuation of that story to be told. There's just more that we need to do together. And I'm excited about the future that we have together, not just in this location, but in Owasso, and that's a part that I think sometimes, because we always show up at one campus. I get, I have the privilege of bouncing back and forth between campuses, but, but, but generally on a Sunday morning, you show up here. And so what you see is here, but the scope of who we are as a church is so much bigger than that. 
And I can say exactly the same thing to the people on the Owasso campus. On the Owasso campus, it's brilliant to see what God has done. God is answering prayers there, and there are new people, and there are people who have been there forever praying these prayers and just been very faithful. And yet today, their, their influence is bigger. Your influence is bigger than one location. And that, that influence actually is not bigger than just one location. It's not just bigger than two locations. Up on Garnett and 116th Street North in Owasso, there's a place called the Mission Center. And out of the Mission Center, we, we serve the needs of the people of our community. It's actually a ministry. We partner people who have things with people who need things. It's the way we help people in our community. Last Thursday, there was a guy named Terry Workman. He set up some stuff. He just gives some food away to the community and provide. He, he brought out a portable shower and just gave people an opportunity to take a shower. And, uh, and so in every location that we are, we're looking for practical ways to help people. But we're not just doing it from our church locations. We've actually built an entire facility that's focused on serving the needs of people. And we're going to do that everywhere. I think that's incredible. And then also, we have this ministry that we call Mission Global. It's our broadcast ministry. I might think of it as our online campus. And really, that online campus is really our, our new front door. For most of the people who attend our church the first time, at some point, they interacted with us online first. And so it's just amazing to see how God continues to expand and broaden the influence or the context and the influence of our church. And I don't think he's doing that accidentally. I mean, we just saw today that God, God's wisdom has a purpose, it has a, it has a vision, it has a strategy. There's a unity to it, there's an alignment to it. And we see what God was doing in the nation of Israel. You understand what's happening in the book of Ezra? Is, is God is setting the table for the coming of the Messiah. Have you caught that yet? If Israel doesn't show back up in Israel, then Christ doesn't show back up in Roman times in Israel. And over those Roman roads, the gospel was carried. And in that culture where there was, there was a diversity of language, but that diversity of language kind of had a commonality and Koine Greek, all of a sudden you get the entire New Testament, for the most part, written in Koine Greek. God's setting the table politically. He's setting the table practically. He's setting the table spiritually for all that would happen next. In, in salvation history, not just political history, but in salvation history. This wasn't in this moment. For the children of Israel at that time, it was about, you know, with Ezra and Nehemiah, it's about rebuilding the temple and rebuilding walls. But in God's picture, in his view, it was so much bigger than that. It was a generational experience that was predicated on the prayers people prayed and the plan that they tapped into that was really simply God's plan. And he was, he was setting the table for this generational experience that would, that would affect, well, well, here we are today still talking about it, right? Here we are today still talking about it. So in the life of our church, as we celebrate, as we think about these 75 years and these 77 years, next year we're going to do some really special things to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate all year long as we do that. But there's also some moments that we have in the life of our church that we call next steps. And just like the next steps for the children of Israel were about rebuilding a temple or rebuilding a wall, our next steps involve some improvements to our campuses in every location. It involves some improvements to our campuses in every location. So I'm going to talk to you today about four projects within our next steps that we would like to do together. And then I'm going to tell you some, some even bigger picture things than just the projects. So just like with Ezra, the project for him was the temple. For Nehemiah, it was the wall. 
Uh, these are our projects, but in God's big picture perspective, there's a lot more to it than just bricks and sticks. Does that make sense? And so let me tell you about some projects that we want to do together as a church, and it affects everywhere we are as a church, not simply one location, but really every location. So the first thing we want to do is, I don't know if you've looked around, just take a look around the room, just real quick, just take a look around the room. One of the first things that we want to do is we want to renovate this room. We want to, yeah, I think that's good. We can celebrate that. That's good. We want to renovate this room. This space is an incredible space for community events. It's an incredible space for fellowship. It's an incredible space for worship. And, uh, and while Misa will say, I don't know the projected timeline, the only reason we don't know that is because we've ordered all the parts and half the parts are here and the other parts are on their way. And as soon as they show up, because the parts is parts, we're going to put the parts in, right? That's going to happen as soon as they show up. They've been ordered. They're on their way. We just can't wait for them to show up. But this is not just a place, a great place for community events and fellowship. This is a great place for worship as well. And one of the things that we can do across all of our campuses is we can align and unify the vision that we have. We can let the spaces that we're in speak to the mission that we have. And we can connect those with the way they look and feel. And so there's a fellowship hall on the campus in Owasso. And we can make this fellowship hall functional and look refreshed and new and match the fellowship hall in Owasso, which also happens to match the look and feel of the Mission Center on 116th Street North on F1 Garden. We can do all of those things so that when someone comes into our spaces, when someone comes into our places, they can see our heart literally on the wall, that our mission is to love all people to Christ. That they can see that they, they can see a picture of who we are, where we are, anywhere we might be. And so the first step in that process, we really I don't know if you all know this or not, but we've been talking about renovating this room since before COVID hit. We actually had plans on the books to do it, and it looked something like that. So that's kind of the, that's not the end of the thing, that's kind of the beginning of an idea for, for this room, that we would renovate this room and make it a, a fresh space for community events, fellowship, and worship, and, and all of those things. And so uh, that idea was on the books before COVID hit, and then COVID hit, and we kind of put on the emergency break. Everybody kind of went, whoa, what is this? We don't, know what, we don't know what's going on. So we just kind of put the emergency break on. And at this point today, it's time to take the emergency break on. It's just time for us to do that. And it's time for us to move forward with the renovation on this campus. Now, uh, there's, there are three other projects. I'm going to talk about those three other projects first. I'm going to take a quick break right here to simply say, there's a way our church goes about doing these kinds of projects. We raise funds to do these kinds of projects. Um, and one of the things that's important in the life of our church is we are debt-free as a church, and we're committed to remaining debt-free. We're not going to go into debt for any of these projects. There's another principle that I think is important. We want as a church for every individual in our church to move towards financial maturity. And as a church, within our budget and the way we manage things, we want to model what it looks like to move towards financial maturity. Well, what does that mean? Well, we believe that Scripture teaches three very important principles about the way we manage our own finances, personally and as a church. We believe that God's called us to give generously, to save wisely, and to live appropriately. As a church, we give generously. We give, at least, we give away at least 10% of every dollar that comes in to like-minded ministries. And we think that as individuals, that should, that's a step of financial maturity. And we, kind of, we pick a percentage, we pick a target, we pick a time. And, and we give generously to that. And I, I'm not going to tell you that our church is the only target, should be the only target of your generosity. I'm not going to tell you that. 
I think your church is a worthy target of your generosity. But I don't think it's the only target. I hope that you grow to be a hilarious, huge, generous person in your life and that everybody experiences your generosity, not just with yourself, but with your time and your talent and just with all of who you are. Generosity is a key feature, and I think it's like a muscle. I think it will atrophy if we don't use it, and I think it grows stronger every time we use it. So while I won't tell you your church is the only target, I won't tell you that I think your church is the worthy target. You ought to give generously, and that's a step towards financial maturity. Our church does that. We give 10% of it, at least 10% of every dollar away is that like-minded ministry organizations. We also believe that you should save wisely. Saving wisely just means that, that I recognize that I'm going to have some expenses tomorrow that I'm not really, I don't know about. And, and for our church, we put into our budget this plan to save. And the reason, the reason we plan to save is because Proverbs and Scripture tells us you should plan to save. There's going to be times of feast, there's going to be times of famine, and if you save just a little bit over a long period of time, it's amazing to see what God does. As a church, we're not saving to retire, and we're not saving so that our investments will just grow massive. What we're saving for is for future ministry. We're saving for moments when God does the unexpected and says, hey, I want you to move, let's go do this. We're saving, actually, for opportunities and projects that are just like the Tulsa Fellowship Hall. For the past many years, actually, several years, I think it's eight or nine years, our church has been saving, and I can tell you right now, in a minute, I'm going to tell you what the value of all four projects is, but I can tell you right now that because we've been saving, some of the money for these projects is already in the bank. And it's because, as a church, we want to model what we are asking every individual to give generously, to save wisely, and that's that last piece of it, to live appropriately. We're going to live within our means. We're not going to spend more than we make as a church. We think as individuals, that's wise as well. You ought to live within your means. You ought to spend less than you make. You ought to adjust your lifestyle to, to, to do that as much as possible. And we can help one another with that. That's actually the fun of generosity, right? In that moment when the unexpected happens in my life, there's, there's a, a million generous people around me who can help in that moment. Sometimes I have to let people know what's going on and ask, and sometimes they just know what's going on, and God brings the miraculous through them, and we get to be a part of something incredible as a result of that. And so again, we give generously, we say it wisely, and we live appropriately. We hope those are steps towards financial maturity that you'll take as an individual, and we as a church want to model that. So with all four of these projects, even though the dollar that I'm going to say in a minute sounds large, it is large, it's large to me, probably it's going to be large to you too. But it's, it's an amount that some of it's already in the bank. And some of it's just simply a matter of us continuing to do what God's asked us to do. For some of you, you're already giving. And I'm so thankful for that. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your generosity. I'm not sure that you necessarily need to give anymore. I, I think all of us need to say, hey, God, what do you want us to do? But if you're already in that space of financial maturity, well done. Keep going. And if you're not in that space of financial maturity, if you haven't started giving somewhere to someone, if you're not saving something at some point, if you're not living within your means, well, then maybe you really ought to go before the Lord. I think we all need to go before the Lord and say, God, I'm not doing my life. And if God says, well, here's where you could do better. Here's where you could make a small adjustment and see what will happen. I have a friend who's been saving for his daughter's college since she was born. He's not got a lot of stuff. He's not, he's not rich, he's not wealthy, but he's been saving about this much of his budget since she was born. And on the day she went to college, between that saving 
days and in scholarship she's earned, showing that graduated Adam Street Day. Not because he's rich, but because he followed those financial maturity uh, principles of giving generously, saving wisely, and living appropriately. It's something that all of us can do. People simply submit to our Heavenly Father and say, Hey God, I want to live my money and my life the way you say. And as a church, we're trying to model that. So one of the projects is the Fellowship Hall right here in Tulsa. There's another project. That project is, uh, there's some things that, uh, that we need to change in the worship center and in the other location, up in Owasso. Uh, that room we moved into 20 years ago with the intent of it being a temporary space. It was built to be temporary, but over 20 years, we found that it's not temporary. And so uh, it is now the primary home for worship on that campus. And, and so there's some adjustments that need to be made to that. Along with that uh, are some adjustments to the foyer. And the reason why we want to do those things is because we want to be able to unite the look and the heart around everywhere we are. So we've got a worship center in the foyer there. And then uh, related to that is the, the broadcast ministry of our church. I think of it as our online campus. That broadcast ministry has become our new front door. Uh, most people experience our church through our online campus before they ever show up on campus anywhere. And, and I don't have time to tell you the miraculous story of our broadcast ministry. I'm just going to tell you the shortest version of it possible. I came to uh, First Baptist Owasso 20 years ago, 20 years ago in January. And in my first year here, our pastor was a different pastor. His name was Dr. Roger Ferguson. He said to me, and he said, you have some skills with broadcast, and I'd like us to have a broadcast ministry. And I said, well, that's awesome. That'd be really cool, but it takes a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of people. And he said, well, here's what you can have. Well, let me tell you, it's easier to tell you what you can't have. You can't have a lot of time, a lot of money, or a lot of people. I just need this to have a broadcast ministry. So we started praying about it. And people showed up. Uh, the vice president for engineering for Clear Channel Communications is a member of our church. And, and equipment started showing up. And there was a season in our broadcast ministry where I could walk into the room and put my hand on something and say, we didn't pay for this. This was donated by the Fox News Channel. We didn't pay for this one. This was donated by Clear Channel Communications. We this one because this production house closed down and they didn't know what to do with their equipment, so they just gave it to us. Oh, wow. That's been the miraculous story of God's provision for our broadcast ministry. The end result is we've had a great broadcast ministry, yet the equipment and the personnel in terms of how we have to train them inside that personnel meeting the volunteers to help make that happen because it's all run by volunteers. Um, it's a little bit like Frankenstein in the room. You've got all these diverse pieces that they are with you know, duct tape and chewing gum making work every Sunday morning. And so that brings to our online uh, ministries where we include some new equipment, a modernization of our standards. But here's the thing I'm the most excited about. It's not about stuff that I'm excited about. Our online campus is an opportunity to connect with and move people around the world. I know in, in, this, in this room there are people who have been in a Sunday school class where a person from Paris has zoomed into their Sunday school classrooms on, on, on a regular basis. It's through the technology of our broadcast ministries that some of those things are possible. I know that there are people who we need to help them move from an online large group to an online small group. We need to help them move from an online small group to some kind of face-to-face meetup where we can serve one another and get to know one another face-to-face. And our online campus can really be the thing that helps us with that. And then the last one, which I get excited about, but I don't understand why anybody else would get excited about this. So y'all get ready. Can y'all be excited with me about something for just a second? Okay. Yeah. Even if you have to fake it. Okay. <laughs> Even if you have to fake it. The last one is get ready. 
signage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We need to update our signage on every campus because you know what? We're not just a small church. Our, the first time was the Wasso first met on Main Street in the Wasso in a tent. They met for, for about a year in a tent, and then they moved to a Wasso. We're not that little church on Main Street anymore. We're, but we're also not just one church in multiple locations. We're one church in multiple languages. And the signage that we have all over every campus needs to communicate in multiple languages. Beyond the communicating in multiple languages, the signage, the things we put, the art that we put on our walls, as it reflects, as it's reflected by the words that we put on our words, it helps people find their way once they get here. And beyond that, it speaks to the heart of who we are. And so signage is one of those things that, that we need to upgrade. And so today, we call it Next Step Sunday because we believe these projects represent some of our next steps of faith. And, and the total cost for all of those things is about $1.5 million. Wow, that's a big number. It is. Um, some of that's already in the bank right now because our church has been committed to giving generously saving once in the program. Some of that is about us looking at our church and saying, I think we can do this. I think we can do this in 12 months. I think there are people in our church who haven't caught the vision for giving generously and saving wisely yet. And I just want to challenge you to pray to do that. Go before the Lord and say, God, can I surrender my finances to you? That doesn't necessarily mean that you need to give it all here. What that really means is that you need to surrender your finances to the Lord and recognize that not everything that comes to you is for you. And you need to ask God in his wisdom, God, how should I use this for the glory of the most of it, you'll spend on all of the needs that you have, because God wants to take care of the needs that you have. Yet some of it we should save for those unexpected moments and for those future possibilities that God wants for us. And some of it you should give. You should give to a variety of targets, but I absolutely believe the church is one of your worthy targets. And at the same time, there are some of us who are giving already, and maybe we can do better. Maybe it's maybe things have changed for us financially, and we've seen to re-examine, re reevaluate through the lens of those purposes that I've, I've given you. We just need to sit down and say, God, I'm going to bring this before you once again. What would you like me to do? Some of you are in great financial, the best financial shape of your life, and you haven't made any adjustments to how you give, how you save, or how you live off the rest. So maybe bring that before God and see what happens. Some of you are in more dire straits or circumstances financially than you've ever been. And you've been giving and saving here, but now it's time for you to adjust that. All of those adjustments are appropriate. Right now, based on the number of families we have in our church, if every family gave about $200 or more a month, we would knock all of this out and then some in less than 12 months. And so that's, that's just a number. I think that's a, a, an amazing way to look at it. That's not us saying give $200 more a month. That's just trying to help us understand who we are as a church. We're bigger than the people in this room. We're bigger than the people in Owasso. We're bigger than the people at the mission. God's doing something miraculous through all of us. And it's amazing to see what happens when each of us just say, God, we don't need to do. And then he takes what I can do, with what you can do, with what you can do, and what they can do, and then suddenly all of us are capable of doing something. Does that make sense? There's one last piece of this. If you were at Family Matters last Sunday night, there was a message that we communicated that I think the way we threw it was not the way it was caught. And so I to, for those of you who might have been at Family Matters last, last Sunday night, I want, to, I want to make certain that we're clear about that. 
we start talking about this idea that we want the mission that drives us to be the name that people understand about who we are. We want people to understand that our, our goal is to love all people to Christ and equip them on a journey to become one another. We want the heart of who we are to reflect everywhere. We want people to be able to show up here or there or somewhere else and go, we know who they are and we know the heart behind them. And so we started pitching a language. We started talking about a language and a logo that we can talk about this location is the mission also. We can talk about the location of Tawaso as the mission Owasso. We can talk about the mission center as the place we help people and the mission global as our broadcast ministry. And all of that language is absolutely relevant. And I think the look of a single logo, the logo of the mission, will unite and unify us all, will align us all together. That's what we talked about last Sunday night. But part of what was caught was, oh, we're changing our name as a church. But we're really not changing our name. Um, we are First Baptist Owasso. This is the Tulsa campus of First Baptist Owasso. So the name isn't really changing, but but the scope of how we identify who we are, where we are, and the heart behind us. But we are going to try to align that. We are going to try to make it crystal clear so people can see wherever we might be. This is who we are, this is where we are, and this is the heart behind us. The best illustration I can give you about what that looks like is I have friends who are recent grandparents. Any of you recent, well, any of you recent grandparents or just grandparents? Any grandparents in the house? There's a couple of you, that's good. Um, these recent grandparents don't yet know whether or not the grandkids are going to call them grandma or grandpa or peepa or mima or I have a friend whose grandkids call him Batman. That's an interesting grandpa name. But they don't know, but they're so excited. They're so excited to see what that grandchild will call them. Well, for this particular man, I know him as George. His name is George. And his name is not going to change. But the context of his influence has changed. Because the context of his influence has changed, he now has another name by which he's known. And it's a name that represents and reflects the influence of who he is. Well, over these past 75 and 77 years, God has increased the influence of who we are as a church. And the context of that influence has grown. And for us to say, yeah, I work for Stuckey's Law, so we'll always be that. It's 100% accurate. Yeah, my name's George, I'll always be that. And at the same time, in this context, we are the mission also. And in that context, we are the mission also. There is a context of us helping people, it's the mission center. And there is a context, it is the mission online, which is our global presence. And I hope that makes sense. And I want you to know if you have questions about any of that, I am more than happy to answer as many questions as you have. In style, I love questions. Questions make me better. They don't, they don't challenge or push us. They just, they just help us. They help sharpen us and help us become better. So any questions you have, I'm, I'm available to, to answer those questions. And I would love to do that. Now, I want to bring this in for a landing in regards to this passage in Ezra and specifically what God's asking. We get to sit in a place like this because of prayers that were prayed a generation ago. Uh, some of you have been here long enough that you've been praying these prayers and you're seeing these prayers come to life and answer right now in this generation. And today, I want us to, to be able to pray together. And I want to say to you our next steps together. Today I've talked about it in the context of projects and we saw a very great job of unpacking a scriptural view of what Ezra has to say about what next steps look like. Um, all of our next steps are predicated on prayer. 
I'm going to say there's three ways you can be involved in our next steps, but when I say there's three ways, it almost sounds like I'm giving you a choice. I hey, pick one of these three. I'm really not. I'm really saying you have to jump into all of these three. You ought to, the first way you can be involved in our next steps is you ought to be praying. Because we are here, man, there were some prayers that were prayed and some decisions that were made a generation ago that put us in this space right now and give us the privilege of worshiping together today. So maybe you could be the generation that blesses the next through the prayers that you pray and the decisions that you make. So I'm asking us all to pray together. I'm, I'm hoping that you'll join us on the Scottsdale Nation and that you'll actively be someone who out of the community is looking for a way to tell the story of your faith to someone else and to invite someone else into this incredible gospel adventure by saying, hey, let me tell you about who Jesus is and what he's done in my life. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. The church is this time for sharing that hope with the world. And let me tell you what he's done in my life. Because I was lost, but now I'm found. I was broken by sin. You've been broken by sin, too. You may not even agree with anything spiritual that goes on ever, but I can tell you you agree with sin because you've been hurt by somebody else's sin. And you know that you've hurt somebody else. You know that. You know that to be true. And I've got a solution for that. I found it. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. You might be here today, and you might need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, that's an opportunity that you have right now in this moment. So I hope that you'll pray with us, all of us, about our next steps together. I hope we'll be the generation to bless the next. I hope that you'll join us on this gospel adventure. That if you're not a believer yet, that you'll place your faith in Christ. And if you are, that you'll share your story with someone else this week, wherever you might go. And then the last piece of it is the gift piece. And the gift piece isn't simply about give to your church. I think it's a worthy part. The gift piece is really about financial ministry. Take your financial life into the Lord and say, God. I think those principles make sense to give generously and save wisely and live appropriately. Would you provide for me? And then as you provide for me, show me who to give to. And as you provide for me, show me how to save. And as you provide for me, help me be disciplined enough to live within my means. God, would you do that? I, I've seen you do that over and over and over again in the hearts of people. And so here's what I'm going to ask us to do. After this, is going to come up and play for us a little bit. While he's playing, I'm going to ask us to stand where we are. So let's stand where we are. And I'm going to voice a prayer. And after I voice a prayer, we're going to have time to just respond. And our response today, I hope, is just very, very simple. I hope your response today is that you'll spend some time, as Jesus sings over us, I hope you'll spend some time in prayer. Some of you might need to come to what this altar might be.